0: From Potomac Fund Management and the Conquer Risk Podcast, this is a special presentation of Research by Potomac. Welcome to a very special edition of the Conquer Risk Podcast, where we are doing a deep dive into the Research by Potomac product that we launched earlier this year. We're going to talk about all things, how advisors can use it in their practice, differentiate themselves amongst the cookie cutter portfolios that are out there, and use it to facilitate really engaging conversations with clients about what's going on in the markets, especially during volatile times. So I'm Shelly Brockman from the Advisor Education Team, and I am joined by the man who put the who and who charted, Mr. Dan Russo. Hey, Dan.
1: Hey, Shelley. How are you?
0: Peachy keen.
1: Thank you so, for the uh, thank like, great intro.
0: I sound like Jeff on my peachy keen, don't I? Got sure to bring a little education team to the to this. So, what we're going to do today, I want to really dig into a couple of things because we get a lot of questions about, um, at least for our team, talking to advisors. You know, the information on the. Research product is great. We love it. Tell us how we can actually implement it. And so that's what this podcast is all about. We want to be able to kind of give you the instruction manual, the playbook, if you will, on how to use the content and the amazing content. I'm kind of biased, but that goes into it. So, Dan, can you kind of walk us through what, from your unique perspective as someone who comes from the institutional research side, what Research by Potomac can actually do for advisors and uh, what makes it different?
1: Yeah, well, I think the uh, the second question is the easy one, right? What makes it different is that this is research, uh, you know, for people who manage money done by people who manage money, right? Uh, having spent 10 years on the institutional side talking to some of the largest investors in the world, you know, I have a pretty good understanding of how these investors think about markets. And I think that there is this disconnect between, you know, uh, people who just write research, and people who then actually have to implement that research, right? It's, it's pretty easy to write research, come up with ideas and thoughts. And, you know, kind of at the end of the day, you know, you have some reputational skin in the game, but, you know, not the type of skin in the game uh, that we think about when we think about investing, right? You can kind of write whatever you want for the most part, it plays out great. If it doesn't play out, really kind of no skin off your back, right? Uh, you, you know, really putting any capital at risk. So the big differentiator, as far as we're concerned, is, you know, uh research for money managers by people who manage money in terms of how to implement it um that's interesting because we recognize that we have a broad audience uh, and that broad audience uh, is working with clients that have different goals objectives time frames risk tolerances right so the content can be broad and it's kind of structured in a few different ways uh, I like to think of it from the top down, right? We we look at things such as our monthly chart book, uh, which is just kind of big picture trends playing out in the markets, across asset classes, across geographies, um, different ETFs. And what's what's their trend? What's their big picture trend right now? Uh, and what has that big picture trend been over, say, the past 10 or 15 years? And how is that changing if it is changing? Right. So somebody who's just kind of taking a big picture view, making long term investments for themselves or for their clients. like That's a great product for them not getting caught up in the day to day back and forth ebb and flow of the market. You know, if you're investing for the next 15, 20 years, 20 years. If the market's down a percent today, do you really care? Probably not. Right. So that's a great product for somebody who takes that long term view. And it's also a great product for somebody who's kind of thinking about things a little bit more strategically. And then from there, we kind of drill down with you know, work around sector allocation. We do a lot of work around volatility and how different volatility regimes can impact the market in both the short and intermediate term. Uh, We look at different asset classes, right? We recognize that advisors who are building portfolios for clients, right? Are not just putting clients 100% into stocks or 100% into bonds, right? There's these different asset classes to choose from, you know, whether it's here in the U.S. or even outside the U.S. So, you know, it really comes down to kind of taking that information and understanding your clients and how it can best be implemented, but we take a top-down approach. Start with the big picture secular trend and then start to drill down from there.
0: Yeah, and I have so much to kind of add on to that too because just from my side, when you start with the weekly scans that come out um, every Monday, actually weekly trends, that's your your big picture view. You're looking at equities, domestic and global. You're looking at fixed income, the dollar, et cetera. And then you peel it back one more layer. Okay, well, within those areas, what's hitting our scans. And you talk about that a lot in your writing, even calling out particular ETFs. There's kind of a a statistical or a probability of gain loss calculation that you do. And so tell me a little bit more about what it means to hit your scans and how- So hitting our scans could
1: actually mean a, a couple of different things. You know, We look at key technical parameters that when they're met, we think they're important enough to highlight. Uh, you know, it could be something as simple as making a new six month or one year high or one year low for that matter, or it could be, you know, moving, crossing below a moving average, right? And and what tends to happen is if you're reading these on a weekly basis and if you're watching them on a daily basis, the way we are, you start to develop and see patterns uh, playing out within the marketplace. I think a great example of that is something that's happened here within the fixed income landscape uh, this year and really kind of been playing out for the past six to eight months is where we've been doing our work and we've been looking at this universe of fixed income ETFs that we track. And and over time, what you've seen is, you know, they start to roll over or they've been rolling over and all of a sudden fewer and fewer of the funds are above their 50 day moving average and fewer and fewer of the funds are then below their uh, above their 200 day moving averages. And you start to get this sense that not all is well in fixed income land, right? So an advisor who's, you know, following along on a week to week basis and, 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 paying attention to these things that we're highlighting within just that note on a, on a Monday morning, uh, had a pretty good heads up that, you know, fixed income was rolling over. Now we understand that different clients have different needs, right? Some clients may need to have an allocation to fixed income, but even within, um, those portfolios, there's opportunities for, for advisors to be a little bit more tactical, right? Let's just kind of pick on the 60, 40 portfolio a little bit here, right? Within that 40 bucket of fixed income. And if you start to notice that the entire fixed income landscape is weakening, right, week by week, uh, you know, fewer and fewer of the funds are trading above key moving averages, more and more of them are making new lows, six month lows, three month lows you know, who's to say that that 40 has to stay at 40, right? Maybe it's an opportunity for somebody who's thinking a little bit more tactically to reduce that exposure and maybe start to look to the pockets of the market across asset classes that are doing well. I mean, something that jumps out to us that we've been pounding the table on for months has been commodities, right? Traditionally, most model portfolios have little to no exposure to commodities. And realistically, aside from the dollar, it's been probably one of the best performing asset classes, uh, certainly this year. and, And, you know, more specifically over the past six to eight months as well. So just kind of that little shift, noticing the shift in fixed income and potentially allocating to an asset class that was outperforming could could, be a key differentiator for people who are reading our work.
0: Yeah, it's like a little radar, right? It's, you know, be very, very aware of what's going on here, either for the good or the bad. There could be buying opportunities. There might be an opportunity to reallocate elsewhere in the marketplace. You know, you bring up a really good point about the 60-40 mix too. So I think it's an important distinction that research by Potomac and the strategies that Potomac manage are two different things. They were designed to be two separate entities. So They won't always necessarily correlate together, but what's helpful for those advisors who are managing the accounts themselves, who, uh, you know, maybe are just trying to put together an allocation that can give the client what they need to the upside while also protecting them when we go through market volatility, not the little blips, but the major, major dives. I think that awareness of Of what's happening and what's kind of turning underneath is really important. And it's also a distinguishing factor, right? I do a lot of portfolio analysis for inherited clients, I'll call for advisors, and it's usually the exact same allocation. It looks pretty much the same. So this is an opportunity for advisors to take that information, implement in their practice, and do something a little different that sets them apart. Now, one thing I think it's really important cool,
1: there, Shelly, is doing something different, but not just for the sake of doing something different. I think that, you know, you could go out there and try to differentiate yourself just for the sake of differentiation. And if you're right, you're going to look like a hero. Uh, but if you're if you look, I would say this a lot. I, I teach a class, a finance class, and, I, you know, I talk to students. And, and one of the things that we talk about is just is as these students are getting ready to graduate, one of the risks out there that's very, you know, not really talked about a lot is career risk, right? And I always tell them, look, if you're different and right, you're a hero. If you're different and wrong, you get fired. So being different just for the sake of being different, probably not the best idea, but, you know, taking the opportunity to differentiate yourself in a thoughtful way, because, you know, you're following along with with the work of people who are are managing money, um, you know, and are keenly focused on number one, risk management and number two, finding the pockets of outperformance in the market, that to me is kind of a calculated slash educated way to differentiate yourself, right? Rather than just going out there and saying, hey, like, you know, we're going to be different for the sake of being different.
0: Well, and interestingly enough, too, we're getting a lot of phone calls from advisors who have prospects because they're moving. These clients are on the move. They're looking for something that's a little bit different. And so, you know, not different for the sake of being different, but for the sake of not of feeling like they're heard and having their particular investment needs met. Now kind of going a deeper level. So weekly macro scans, right? We do sector deep dives. There are 11 different areas within Research by Potomac that we that you guys produce content on, you and Drew. And you know, of course we can't hit all of them here, but I also wanna talk about the sector deep dive because I pulled out something really interesting from it. It was a note you had posted back in February Uh, in the material space. And then you had highlighted a couple of individual stocks. And it was just really interesting to watch how that dynamic played out. Uh, I'm not going to name those because (laughs) that's not what this is for, but there was a pretty decent spread in favor of, of that. It won't always play out, right? The information, you have to kind of take other things into consideration. But just me from a... You know kind of a a nerdy perspective i love seeing how that those trends materialize not obviously because you've got to give it time not in that that particular moment but over time so talk a little bit about the sector deep dive
1: yeah so i mean number one it's always a probabilistic approach right anybody who tells you that they're going to get it right 100 of the time is flat out lying right to your face right um but it's kind of you know doing the work understanding you know the the drivers of the market and taking a probabilistic approach and kind of making decisions or, or making allocations when when those odds are in your favor. Right. So sector deep dive is, is a great way of looking at that. And I think what's happening right now in the market is as we record this in the middle of May is, is kind of interesting because. Listen, the S&P 500 is made up of 11 sectors. I think most people know that. But those sectors are not equally weighted, right? Technology is about 25% of the S&P 500. Healthcare is 14, 15% of the S&P 500. If technology is not working, the S&P 500 is going to have a really hard time going up, right, just mathematically. Um, you know, the biggest bellwethers out there, and remember that you know, tech doesn't even include technology. Uh, Google, Amazon, Tesla, things like that, those are actually in different sectors, right? I'm talking pure tech uh, is 25% of the S&P 500. If you add in those other names that we all think of as tech, right, it's probably more like 40% of the S&P 500. So if that stuff's not working, the market, quote unquote, is going to have a really tough time uh, going up. So you know, if you're just sitting in kind of an index fund, you are willingly having outsized exposure those areas of the market that aren't working right something like materials is interesting because it's i had it up here i wanted to take a look it's less than three percent of the s p 500 even energy right energy which everybody's been talking about it's been probably the best performing sector uh it's definitely been the best performing sector this year it was the best performing sector last year also however that is only four and a half percent of the s p 500 right so you know what we're trying to do with a sector deep dive is, you know, kind of identify those sectors that are outperforming relative to the market. And, you know, advisors who are thinking about structuring portfolios might want to take a step back and say, Hey, you know, if technology is not working, Right? That's going to be a drag on the index, but I could potentially get better performance just by allocating a little bit more capital over here towards materials, which we're working in February and subsequently are pretty much flat. I think since we wrote that note uh, while the S&P 500 is down and tech is certainly down right, or energy, which is which has been one of the best performing sectors uh, of the year or even something, you know, within the um, sector deep dives. You know, one of the things that we do, let's say you don't want to allocate specifically to sectors one of the things that we do is kind of use sector deep dives as a roadmap, right? If, if we're every week, week in, week out writing about utilities, outperforming consumer staples outperforming, right? What do those two groups have in common? They're defensive, right? In a in an environment where utilities and consumer staples are two of your best performing sectors, that's probably not the healthiest of environment for equities, right? So just taking that information and being able to kind of make some changes around the margins, uh, of, of client portfolios is is a huge value add in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I, I would completely agree with that for a couple of reasons. One, you know great segue to. we also have a section called Know what you Own, which un- under under um, has the advisor understanding exactly to the points that you're making. But even more so, these give them, talking points to clients if they come walking in and say, you know, hey, I want to know why I don't own more of this. My neighbor Joe said it's doing really well. Why don't I have this in my portfolio? Sure. Well, then you can take that information and use either the sector deep dive or know what you own and some of those data points and be able to have an intelligent conversation with <laughs> with the client to, you know, not say, you know, we are not going there because of this and, you know, right. Joe is dumb. But <laughs>
1: Yeah, You and, know, just here's a of, more know, educated know.
0: and prudent approach.
1: Right. And like, know what you own is a great example, right? Because, yeah. you know, I think a lot of times people just kind of look at the name of an ETF and say, okay, that's what I'm getting, right? Whether it's a value ETF or a growth ETF or momentum or low volatility, it doesn't matter. You know, we've written about all of these things. Uh, but the one that's kind of probably the best example is consumer discretionary, right? The consumer discretionary ETF that tracks the S&P 500 consumer discretionary sector, right? If you just look at the title, you say, oh, you know, I I think the consumer is going to be strong here. I want exposure to the consumer. I'm going to buy the consumer discretionary ETF, XLY, for instance. Well, XLY is 40% Amazon and Tesla, right? So if you buy XLY, are you really making an investment on the consumer or are you making a concentrated bet on two stocks that most people actually think are tech stocks anyway, um, but they're not. But you're making a concentrated bet that you might not even know you're making, right? So, you know, something like know what you own. And we wrote about this. I think it was the original one that we wrote. We kind of highlighted the difference between XLY and uh, RSP, which is the equal weight ETF. So, you know, when you're kind of making that decision and having those discussions, and if you want to kind of say, I want to allocate capital because I think the consumer is going to be strong. Well, RSP might be your better bet, at least for a pure play on the consumer discretionary sector, as opposed to say XLY, which is a concentrated bet on two stocks, right? So that's what we're doing with those notes, kind of drilling down, looking at the differences. Well, one of the things we do in those notes too, is, is highlight the overlap um, that those different funds have with the S&P 500, which I think is important Right? Cause if, you know, if you're adding these kind of tactically to client portfolios, we think it's important, you know, let's just kind of keep it simple. If you own SPY, you know, the S and P 500 as your equity exposure, and then you say, Hey, I want to add this momentum flare to it. Well, one of the things that you should know as you're adding that momentum flare is how much overlap do those individual holdings in the momentum fund have with the S and P 500, if the overlap is high you you're just kind of making the same bet a second time as opposed to adding something different to the portfolio. So that's what we're trying to do there to go through all the characteristics of these funds, highlight where they're similar to the S and P 500 highlight where they're different and really highlight what you own within those funds.
0: Mm-hmm. It's kind of a core and satellite, you can look at your core allocation. And then when you want more exposure to an additional area, you can get specifically that underlying piece that's actually got the momentum.
1: Yeah, but but so, more importantly, make sure you, you're getting the exposure you think you're getting with that satellite addition to the portfolio, if you will, right? Yeah. If you're going to add a add a satellite fund that, that sounds really interesting and compelling, and it has 85% overlap with the S&P 500, you're probably you're just doubling your bet on the S&P 500 essentially and not necessarily getting the added benefit of that satellite theme that you think you are.
0: Yeah absolutely and I think it's important to say too that this information is out there in some way shape or form but what I think makes research by Potomac, it's consolidated. If you want your technical analysis, it's in one place. So you don't have to go and look. It's got a search feature, right? So if you want to find information about materials, or if you want to find information about Google, um, if it's written in there, it's going to find it and you can go right to it. So I like the consolidated nature of it. And we were super excited to actually really roll it out to our advisors that have uh, that are using Potomac strategies for their model portfolios, not because we want it to re- place, anything but more of to these talking points, it just gives them a little bit additional insight, one stop. Uh, We have it kind of tied in with our insight, uh, which is our advisor communications portal where we give market updates and so forth. So it's all consolidated into one nice little place. And I think that makes the experience really simple uh, for, for the advisors. So Great that we rolled it out to the advisors and, you know, getting some really good feedback uh, at the same time. We really want to just kind of highlight how it can be implemented into portfolio allocations for reps who are managing portfolios themselves, et cetera.
1: Yeah, I think um, you know, Shelley, um, one of the things you, you brought up, which I think is really important is, I mean, you may completely disagree with with everything that I'm writing, but a lot of what we write is actually just kind of fact-based and tested yeah and you know we look at things one of one of the things that we put out once a month is this no called mythbusters right where we take you know some element of traditional market or technical analysis lore and test it and put it into context and you know, obviously we want to try to hit on the hot button issues, right? The ones that are yeah. most likely to generate a lot of questions, incoming calls from advisor clients, right? So something like the death cross, right? We've had death crosses all over the market over the past few months, right? The headlines go crazy, you know, the dreaded death cross, the dreaded death cross, right? But so what we did was we we went out and said, all right, well, how does the market normally respond to a death cross? And I wasn't surprised by this because I've done the research a bunch of times, uh, but I think a lot of other people are surprised by the fact that actually the market tends to move higher after a death cross. Death cross being when the 50 day moving average crosses below the 200 day moving average, right? More often than not, you know, whether it's three months later or six months later, the market is higher, right? So what we did was we went out and said, hey, look, you know, the death cross and its, you know, its bullish friend, the golden cross, when the 50 day moving average crosses above the 200 day moving average, actually do work. They are valuable. But when they're used, together as part of a disciplined system right and and our point was if you're just going to randomly sell stocks because there's a death cross more often than not that ends up being a bad trade, right but if it was your exit because you had a disciplined entry you know I think the the entry was a year and a half ago um then it's solid it's part of a strategy and it's part of you know it's part of a process right and that's what we wanted to highlight and that's what we do with a lot of the the mythbuster's notes that we look at is i think a lot of things that end up in the headlines are taken completely out of context so we kind of contextualize that and, and then put some numbers behind it and you know, like i said that strategy that that death cross right as part of a strategy what it does is it saves you in 2000 and it saves you in 2008 right when when the small decline becomes a cascading big decline but those are actually outliers and more often than not when there's a death cross the market is higher three months later six months later and a year later right so as part of a risk management process really great tool taken randomly on its own with no other context not Mm -hmm. the best tool on earth
0: yeah absolutely and you guys actually followed up with another on the 200 day moving average too so uh, in concept Yep, exactly. Tied in, awesome. tied in really nice, nicely together. So that's all I had. I know we could spend uh, hours upon hours going through all 11 areas of research by Potomac. Everybody knows it,
1: that I could spend days and days doing this is for anybody who watches Who Charted.
0: <laughs> I have to actually be cut off from Education Station because I like to go long-winded. So oh, right there with We you.
1: literally have it. We literally have a timer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we might need one. <laughs> All right. So what's the next steps? Uh, Research by Potomac has actually become one of my favorite parts of my morning routine because the information is so insightful. And as, I, as I've said before, it's fun to watch how everything unfolds. And uh, But nevertheless, you can actually access uh, Research by Potomac for free. There's a 30-day trial that when you go to potomacfund.com forward slash research, you'll be able to uh, basically see everything that we've talked through today and then some. Just uh, enter your information, log in, and let us know what you think. We, of course, are always looking for feedback. Dan and Drew are always asking what we're hearing, and we want to make sure that the content we produce is valuable to you as the advisor as you're looking to uh, implement things into your portfolio management. So, Dan, any final words?
1: Uh, no, no final words. Uh, definitely feel free to reach out. Let us know what you think. Again, I, I mean, I love talking about this. I could I could do it all day and, you know, h- love to hear feedback. But more importantly, just kind of, you know, discuss what's going on, what's happening in the market and, you know, ways to, you know, ways that we can help and, and add value. So uh, please feel free to reach out. At the same time, don't forget to like and subscribe. And uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, for spending some time with us today.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much.
1: This podcast is for informational purposes only and should
0: not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Potomac Fund Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.